Well, good morning. It is great to, uh, you know, sometimes when I come up front and have my back to you, there's not near as many people, and it's good to turn around and see there's a few more, and we know we've got some that are our ladies that are not here today, and just been praying for them. I know they're having a great time and getting to see God's majesty and his beauty uh, there in Green Valley. We're continuing our series in the book of Acts, and we'll go through that till Thanksgiving, and uh, then we'll go to Advent, but just thankful for God's word. That's all I can tell you. Because I can tell you this, for me, as your pastor, uh, it does take a lot of time and preparation to, to, to be able to come in, on Sunday morning and, and speak the word, but but I can tell you, I'm on a journey every week when I step off into these scriptures. I'm on a journey that somehow that God's doing something inside of me as I'm getting to figure out what's inside of that scripture and asking him to show me what do we need to hear today. Because I've said before, in the book of Acts, uh, we could camp out in one chapter just in a few verses for weeks upon weeks. So uh, trying to figure out what that looks like is, is a challenge. But it's also a great journey and a pleasure. But today we're going to land in Acts 19, we're going to go 23 through 41, and that's where we're going to, uh, going to be our launching pad, but a lot of things have happened uh, before that, that since Allie preached last week in the sense of uh, the passage of Scripture that she was in in Acts 19. But just remember, uh, just, so, just a reminder, if we haven't taught on this before, uh, Ephesus is where we're going to start, just kind of give you a backdrop of the city of Ephesus, it was a major part of the modern, it's a major part of where modern day Turkey is now, and the Romans called it the crown jewel of Asia Minor. And at its peak, about 400,000 people lived there, and international trade arrived daily, so it made it one of the most famous cities in the part, that part of the world. And there's some of the ruins of, of Ephesus now. But as we saw in Acts 19, Paul, the Apostle Paul left Ephesus. He left behind Priscilla and Aquila, as Ali mentioned last week, and eventually returns to Ephesus and he spends a few years there preaching and teaching, and these miracles happening. And, of course, where Paul went, there seemed to be miracles, but there was always teaching and preaching, for sure, wherever he went. Something began to happen. The gospel began to change the lives of those people in Ephesus. And it changed them Dramatically. And if we step back in, verse, in chapter 19, I'm not going to read all of it, but it says, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. Now you go, that's not that big a deal, except when it goes on to say it was worth about 50,000 drachma. Well, in today's terms, that depends on who you're reading. It could be between 3 and 5 to $7 million worth of scrolls that they brought. I'm not sure why they were reading and why they were keeping count, I don't know if all of a sudden it started building up so much. They're going, man, we need to, we need to figure out what this is. This is a pretty, pretty significant thing. So somewhere along the way, Luke records the value of it. But the biggest point about that part of it is, in, in the early part of chapter 19, is that the things that once could, they considered valuable are now be, they're willing to throw them in the fire. That's what we've got to remember. They began to look at their life. They began to look at those things that no longer held value, and they began to discard them. Ephesus was being radically changed. And, and Luke goes on to say, the word of the Lord spreads widely, spread widely and grew in power. So that's where we're going to start. Acts 19 today, 
verse 23 through 41, and we're going to read about a riot, or at least a close to a riot, if not really a riot that happens here, and then we're going to back our way back through it and see how it helps us today. Here we go. Verse 19 should be on the screen if you don't have it in your, in your lap or on your electronic device. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. Now the way is the church, if you don't know, the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who had made silver shrines of Artemis, brought, a lot of business, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in, and in practically the whole province of Asia. So he wasn't just isolated right there going, hey, he's messing this up here. We're hearing about him elsewhere. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There's a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. What's interesting here is how can you rob a god of its divine majesty. Okay, that's, anyway. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized uh, Galus and this other guy. Uh, Paul's traveling companion from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to, Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. Okay, I love certain things that Scripture puts in there. Okay, most of the people didn't even know why they were there. The Jews of the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He, mentioned, he motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you might ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples or blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open, and so are the proconsuls. They can press charges. Is there anything further you want to bring up? It must be settled in, in, in the legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to, 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 not be able to account for this comment commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Well, the gospel had not only changed these folks' lives in Ephesus, it had impacted, apparently, it was starting to impact the economy because their lives being changed, specifically the worship of Artemis. The goddess whose elaborate temple was constructed in Ephesus. Now, it's, it's different pictures, and we don't know exactly what it looked like, but this was, most of them kind of resemble this unbelievable 120 columns. I think it was. It was massive. And there's a lot of things that went on there that I won't get into this morning. This specifically imp impacted the idol-making industry, which had developed in the city, which brought great wealth. And even Ephesus was kind of the banking 
uh, area, of, part of that world because there's so much wealth coming through there and there was so much money to be made off these little idols that you can, there was different types you could make and uh, the, 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 the statue, and I want to get into that part of it. I started to show a picture of that, but I thought, okay, on Sunday morning I probably won't do that because she is the god of fertility. Uh, so I decided not to do that. However, they would make these little statues, and then you could take those statues with you, and you could worship Artemis wherever you were. You didn't have to be there in Ephesus. So a riot breaks out, or at least close to a riot by silversmith named Demetrius. And can't you hear Demetrius? I love some of these, again, these inclusions that, 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 that are included here in this passage of Scripture. But can't you hear this? Maybe a nervous whiny. I don't know if that's the voice he used or not. But he's going, you know what Paul said? He said that man-made gods are no gods at all. What if these people began to believe that? That these man, what we're doing here really is not what we say it is. For us, it's a moneymaker. I don't know if she's a god or not. I'm not serious saying that. But what he's saying is, he is claiming something around here, and it's catching on. And there's a great concern. Well, who is Artemis? Well, Artemis, there's two statues of her found in the city hall of Ephesus, indicating that she was considered to be the basis for life in that city. In other words, everything went through her. She was called, she's the goddess of, uh, supposed goddess of fertility, as I mentioned, but she was called queen of heaven. She was literally called the savior. Uh, she felt like she, I mean, it was reported that she was fallen from the sky as a meteor, so that was part of what was in the temple. Uh, probably the most worshipped deity in Asia, and perhaps the most worshipped, especially during the time of Paul. Hundreds of eunuch priests, hundreds of virgin priestess, and religious prostitutes, they served her every day. The temple was considered, as you can see there, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So it's, it's easy to understand, I think, that the silversmith and all those guys and related uh, connections, because there are always a ripple of that. that. Sure, you may be the guy that creates it, but there's, you get your supplies from different places. So he's meeting with them going, hey, we're in trouble here. Because, you know, when your idols begin to be challenged, you begin to push back, Right? I mean, we all would. If my idols are beginning to be put in danger, then, then I may be, need to go to extraordinary lengths to protect that idol. Because every culture is dominated by idols if it's not dominated by the glory and the grace of God. And I would even go on to say this. Individuals, if they're not dominated by the glory and grace of God, very well are dominated by idols. Now, I mentioned this probably six weeks ago or so as we were preaching through this, path, through this series. For most of us, it's easy to look at these pagans and go, well, what were they thinking? 
that's just this piece of stone, or that's just a, that's just a big temple, that's just this. But, but when we begin to look at this, it maybe makes more sense. I mean, yeah, you can worship the sun, you can worship the moon, you can worship the stars, you can worship created uh, 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 statues. But I would have ventured to say that even in this room, good-hearted, fair-minded people may be sacrificing themselves at the foot of an idol. It's killing you. Because anything you filter your life through first, before God, is definitely in the neighborhood, if not already, an idol for you. It could be your career. It could be your academia. It could be your pursuit of club sport. It could be your pursuit of you fill in the blank. It could be technology. It could be cable news. It could be retirement. Everything's filtered through that first. It could be your status and image. Everything's filtered. How does it affect that first? It could be a political party. It could be a lifestyle. It could be so many things that we can put before we begin to filter through the power of the Holy Spirit. We begin to filter through God. If we put that first, and that is our filter first, if it's not, it's in the neighborhood, probably on the same street, maybe next door at least, to being an idol for you. When it comes to policy, to the world we live in today, politics and lifestyles and different things, we can become so programmed that no matter what a person or religion or an organization or tech ideology says, we're committed to defend it no matter what. Even many times in our gut or our soul, we know it's not right. We know it, but we still defend it. And even if you don't know it, you have a deep pause. But you're afraid to say anything. You're in fear of saying anything because if you do, it will disrupt the group that you're with potentially or it may disrupt your family. We talked about this a few weeks ago. When people are converted out of paganism back in that day, much like what it is today, and I'm not even saying it's paganism, it's nothing maybe. When they're converted out of that, many times the circle they were in for so long is not going with them. Their family members are not happy about it. That's the reason why this body of Christ is so important because they may have nowhere else to go. Because they've just stepped out of something and they know it. They know they've stepped out of it, but they're alone. That's why when Paul's preaching in pagan cultures and he's busting all this up, it's a pretty big deal because it's not just about them coming to Christ. It is changing their lifestyle. It is saying, I'm throwing things in the, in, in, the, in the heap. I'm throwing it in the fire now. And now what do I do? Am I the only one? Who am I going to surround myself with? It's a big deal. 
That's why attending church is a big deal. That's why being a part of a community is a big deal. Because it may not be for you, but it may be for those who are showing up that are far away from God, who now have come to God, and now they're alone. It's a big deal. And again, personal, and I would even go on to say this about personal idols. And as you know, we have suffered deeply in our family with the loss of my nephew in the last few weeks. You know, I never thought I'd be a part of, connected to a gold star family, but we are now. But I'll say this, I cannot imagine losing a child, ever. And some of you have experienced that. I, I can't get my mind around it and what I would do in those kind of... But let me, say, let me say this to you. And I've heard it and I understand it. I understand it. I've heard people say, if I lost my child, I would no longer want to live. It's understandable. But please, friends, don't make your child an idol in this sense. God knows where you are. He loves you. And I don't understand in, in God's economy, we may not know until we get to heaven why things happen. I don't understand all that. But what I do know is that God is either still on the throne, He was on the throne before, and He's never leaving it, or he, in my mind, He never was. Your spouse. I know what it's like to love someone more than I ever thought I could love someone. I, I feel very privileged to know that I have that. But I can't make my awesome wife an idol. That means sometimes you may have to disagree on some things that you didn't think you'd have to disagree on. A career. Church idols or ritual or religious idols. I was listening, I think it was Tim Keller this week. I was listening to, to a message he was preaching, and, and he's talking about in Proverbs, there's 17 categories. Uh, he said in Proverbs, and I didn't look it up, so I'm blaming it on him because he's got a good, everybody knows him. Uh, but he's talking about religious idols who become dogmatic and closed minded. Literally, in, in Scripture, it calls them scorners or scoffers. Scorners or scoffers and mockers. I would say there's other, other idols inside the church if we're not careful. I mean, and Ali mentioned it briefly last week, is spiritual gifts versus spiritual fruits. Spiritual gifts in themselves can become idols to us. But the character of God comes through the spirit of fruits. The Holy Spirit gives the gifts as he sees fit. And we should want them and we should want to operate in them. But the character of God is what really is what we want to filter everything through. And then he can use those gifts in unbelievable ways. Because we have the character of God. But in the United States, religion, if you're not careful, an idol becomes consumerism. An idol becomes comfort. That idol becomes the fact that I would rather be a part where I get what I need to get when I need to get it and then get out and everybody else to hell in a handbasket. 
Never would say it, never would say it out loud, but they're part of the community is so important. Because it's never just about you. It's about how you're connected. Our cultural idols. What I love here is that Paul ends up, I don't know if I'll read it here, but Paul ended up preaching in the synagogue, I think it says, for three months. Then after three months, he's run out of there. Literally, they run him out of there. And then he preaches for I don't know how long, a couple, other, a couple more years in the marketplace. And there was a hall there where he could preach. See, the marketplace in Ephesus is not like what we think of the marketplace. Now, let's go to Trader Joe's because that's the marketplace. We, marketplace is where we go. Or, but no, theirs was, everything was there. It was like having Harvard, Wall Street, and Hollywood all at the same place. And they were all kind of in that... And that surrounding there where when he goes and preaches at the marketplace, man, it's way more than what we think about. So Paul is taking on culture. We know culture has idols, but so does religion, so does so do we individually. What I love about this passage of scripture, and there's multiple things, is the fact that Christianity challenged the greatest pagan cult in the ancient world. And they got scared. They saw it as a threat. But I think it's the challenge that we have as a church today. Contemporary Christianity. How how are we impacting culture? Because I think I've shared with you many times here, one of the biggest challenges is that used to, back in the day, churches were built... At the city square. If you built a city square, a town square, a church was going to be there, maybe more than one. Today, we're on the outside of town. We're on the fringe. I mean, figuratively, we're on the, we're, we're, we're metaphorically, we're on, the, we're on the outskirts. And if we need something from you, we'll ask you. But you're not impacting this whole thing. You're not at the table. We don't look at you at the table. Timothy Keller goes on to say, unless you challenge the idols, you cannot preach the gospel. You have not preached the gospel clearly. Unless you challenge the idols, individually, religiously, culturally, you have not preached the gospel clearly. Because the gospel, when it's preached clearly, causes change. I mean, you think about it. A third of the United States of America claims to be born-again Christians. My guess is a third of 400,000, that was not what... They flipped Ephesus upside down, and I'm guessing, I'm pretty confident there wasn't a third of them born-again Christians. What if the third began to live as Paul lived? I mean, think about it, the riot, there's a picture of the theater where they were, and, and 25,000 people, 25,000 come, come to this theater, okay, and they're there for a fight, if you will, for a riot, and they're shouting, and then Alexander gets up to speak as the word says and try to explain to them what's going on, and what do they start shouting for two hours? Great is Artemis 
of Ephesus. Can you imagine being two hours of listening to that? I mean, when is it going to stop? I mean, sometimes I, my, my next-door neighbor starts, not, not anybody that attends here, something another neighbor, no, but starts blowing, you know, starts blowing the grass in his yard. He's got his, you know, he's got his gas-powered blower. And I'm going, when is it ever going to stop? Are they going to stop? But two hours of listening to the exact same thing, And I love what is included in the scripture. He said most of the people in the theater did not even know why they were there. But they're shouting. You ever seen that happen before? I think we have a cultural issue with this. We have people shouting about certain things. They really don't even know why they're shouting about it. But they're in it. They're, they're passionate. They're screaming at the loud of their, top of their lungs. But they really don't even know why they're there. Why were they so afraid? If this religion, the way, was really powerless, and really all they had, they didn't have resources, they didn't have, all they had was a message. They don't have a statue, they don't have a temple, they don't have economic. Paul, everywhere he showed up, had to go get a job. What were they afraid of? I believe the thing that Demetrius did not want to happen, happened. He was trying to quieten it. I think it exploded because of it. For instance, you have 25,000 people shouting for two hours. Somebody's going to come and ask, what are you guys shouting about? Then you're going to have to explain it. Well, this Christianity, the way they believe all this, I believe is the way God was orchestrating and allowing it to explode out of it, not quench it. I mean, it's kind of like today when you see our media, which drives me nuts on different levels, on certain things like the bigotry fringe white supremacy movement. I'm not sure it's really much of a movement at all. I don't know enough about it. I'm not going to look it up. But all I know is the more you talk about it, the more people are going to look it up. And the more you keep pushing it to the front of the line, the more people are going to go gravitate to it. So the very thing you didn't want to happen, supposedly, is happening. Don't we see it with gun sales after a tragedy? Now, that's provable. Gun sales after major tragedies where those coming out to, for gun control, and I'm not trying to get into political here, I'm just telling you facts, the very thing they're trying to stop explodes. I think that's what's happening here with Demetrius. The very thing he's trying to shut down, the very thing he's wanting to keep quiet, except run him out of town, explodes on him. He's operating in fear. And what I think is crazy about this, Paul should be the one operating in fear, don't you think? If you really look at the whole story, why is Paul not the one scared? Why is Paul not the one going, oh man, we better back up, let's get... No, it's not what he did. Paul walked into Ephesus armed with a little more than a passion for Christ and for people. Everywhere he went, as I said, he had to work, so he wasn't like he had a lot of resources. 
I'm, not sure, I'm, I'm doubting he had an advance team months and months beforehand who were gathering up other people and praying. Paul just walks into this town and he knows this. There's really no guarantee that anyone's going to accept the message. I mean, Paul, to be honest with you though, was probably not very intimidated by Ephesus because he had been in Corinth for 18 months. <laughs> if you had been stuck in Corinth for 18 months with a thousand uh, uh, temple prostitutes and all the other things that went on there, Ephesus probably didn't intimidate you very much, but his experience, he took what he had learned before, and now he's stepping and he's amping it up, he's ramping it up just a little bit more because he's stepping into something that literally would change the movement of Christianity there in Ephesus. Because he knew that God had already worked through him. He knew that he had saw things in the past that God had worked in and God was changing. I mean, he starts out as an associate pastor in Antioch with Barnabas. And he goes to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, where God begins to make unbelievable changes. Let me say this, I'm sure Paul many times thought about his failures along the way and things he wished he'd have done different. But if Paul had quit the entire mission because of a few discouraging things, Paul would have never made it to Ephesus. And in Ephesus is where he found the most listeners and where he saw the greatest success. I believe Paul had a little bit of MacGyver in him. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw the show MacGyver. Anybody ever seen the show MacGyver? Look around and see what you got. <laughs> and let's work with that. I think so many times in our lives we're looking around waiting for that next thing. Then I will. I think Paul operated from, what do we got? We know we got this. God's faithful. <laughs> we know his powers that work within us. Now let's just look around. Twelve guys, you know, they were baptized with the Spirit there. Twelve guys that get run out of the synagogue and get run to the marketplace. Oh, even better. That's even better than the synagogue because here I'm really connecting with everybody. Sometimes when you think it's a failure, it's actually a boost to the next thing. Sometimes when you think it's a riot, it's actually God orchestrating things where something's about to explode out from underneath you that, that none of us could have created. You know, I drive across West Texas, have many times going back home to Texarkana. And there is a reason why they, they up the speed limit to 80 going across West Texas, just so you can get through it as fast as you can. I, I drive West Texas at night as often as possible when I'm coming across West Texas. I just don't want to look at somebody maybe from West Texas. I apologize. Not really. I don't really apologize. It's not. But, of course, people come across Arizona and say the same thing I know. And if you just looked at West Texas and you just saw the land, you'd go, what is that good for? Until you start digging down a little deeper, huh? And you get into those oil wells. Sometimes the surface, sometimes what's on surface may not be everything that God's up to. You're going to have to hang in there and dig down and find it. Who has God placed around you? In your current situation, I have to believe that's where God wants you. He may not want to leave you there, but that's where He has you. What do you got to work with? 
Some of you are waiting to some other time. Paul couldn't wait till some other time because it wasn't coming. It wasn't coming till he stepped into those places armed with a passion for Christ, with the power of Christ, and an experience for many, many ways that he could log back into and go, okay, I know God was faithful there. Because if you wait until you need everything to accomplish whatever it is, you probably won't accomplish anything of noteworthiness or of much value. I started out in youth ministry in 1992 with no budget and a small piece of the 25, 20 to 25 kids and a small space in the fellowship hall there in Texarkana where people were still eating on the other side and we were trying to have youth ministry. If we'd have waited, if we'd have waited till we had everything we needed, which would have ultimately got a nicer building and a nicer all everything. I don't know if I'd ever done anything. I don't know if I'd even gotten youth ministry. I mean, our church here. I love what McManus says. The church is not built on those who come and go. The church is built on those who stay. It just is. And you just got to look around and go, who's, still, who, who's here? And how do we work with that? Who's here? What's here? What do we have to work with? We've got actually pretty awesome something to work with. We don't have something everybody, and there's other places that got more than we've got. I get that, and facilities and those kind of things. But how do we work with what we've got where God's planted us? And I love Paul's bent on this. Paul's approach to all this was just awesome to watch because one of the things I look at here, did Paul know? Did, did Paul know that he would become the leader of this unbelievable movement? Did he know in those moments was God giving him a vision, saying, "Out here someday, two thousand years later, at fifty-six hundred four North Twenty-fourth Street, there's going to be this group of people." I don't think so. Did he know that that was happening? But the Temple of Artemis of that time now looks like this. One column in a pasture. <laughs> One column in a pasture. One column in a pasture. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The greatest goddess of that, or the greatest worshiping the most in that ancient world. To Paul's message of Christ, resulting in billions, billions coming to the saving grace of an almighty God. And we're still reading about the book to the Ephesians. Paul wrote a little later on. And we still memorize it, and we still study it, and we're still changed by it. 2,000 years later. That's pretty awesome. Because a man did not let fear. Demetrius operated in fear. Paul understood there was things to be threatened by. He understood there was a healthy fear. But we've said this before here. Courage is not the absence of fear. The courage is absence of self. He knew the call in his life was greater. He knew the mission that he had been called to for others. He didn't know we were going to be here probably. But he knew he had to keep going even when he didn't have anything else to work with except a passion and a power that is unquenchable.
I love what he writes. I think it's his personal doxology. Now to him. It's in writing to the church at Ephesus. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. According to his power at work where? In us. In us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ. Christ Jesus throughout the generations forever and ever. Amen. And amen. If the Lord tarries 2,000 years from now, what would they be saying? Did you allow fear in your circumstances and you didn't have enough so you waited and you waited and you waited? Or did you begin to live into what God had given you right now? 